0: Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf, and I'm the Executive Director of the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions, also known as the IAIABC, and you're listening to the IAIABC's podcast, Accidentally. Since 2015, Accidentally has been exploring policy, practice, and trends within the occupational health safety, and workers' compensation communities. I'm hopeful that Accidentally gives you a broader view of our industry and that these episodes spark conversation and debate among listeners. You can listen or download our podcast each month at iaiabc.org podcast or find us on your favorite podcast network. On this episode of Accidentally, I'm excited to speak with Dr. Claire Musselman. Dr. Musselman recently joined North American Risk Services as the Vice President of Workers' Compensation. Previously, she was the Director of Workers' Compensation for the Workers' Recovery Unit at Continental Western Group. Claire was honored in 2019 with an IAIABC NextGen Award and is a well-known presenter and educator in our industry. I'm excited to share the conversation we had earlier this year. One of the things that I love talking to Claire about and what I think makes her incredibly compelling is that she is so very passionate about making the workers' compensation industry realign itself and really focus on people and to be a people-centered industry. And so I'm really excited to get to talk with her today.
1: Yay. Thank you, Jen. So happy to be here.
0: I wanted to ask first that most of us, me, probably you, we accidentally fell into the workers' compensation industry. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story?
1: So let's flash back to when I was actually in high school. I worked for a smoothie shop and they had just put in this new door that had a special fire handle on it. So I am working behind the counter, get up to go leave. And I'm walking out the door and the door closes on my leg and that fire handle found a new home inside my right thigh, really close to my femoral artery. So kind of interesting. And so when I look back on this and I think about the process and how it happened, and I went right back to work, I came back that night and I really wanted my shorts replaced. That's all I wanted. So that is technically the first time I accidentally fell into workers' compensation.
0: You know, Claire, you truly melded all of the meanings of accidentally falling into this industry. And I wonder what 16-year-old Claire would think now. And I suspect that she would be incredibly proud of the leadership and the voice that you have within the industry. You got experience understanding the workers' compensation industry on the claims side Tell me a little bit about how you formed this idea of the workers' compensation recovery unit and what really drives you in how you lead that unit.
1: So when I went into the claim side, I remember my very first claim. I remember the man's name. I remember how old he is and where he worked and what his experience was. But his wife had passed away and there were some really innate details that I remember about working with him. And it really illustrated to me the importance of the human connection component that goes into this. And this was my very first claims job at a TPA. And I really enjoyed that power of human connection and understanding that we could make every day better for one another. And I remember trying to explain my job because at this point I'm like 21 years old, working in a claims organization and people had no idea what we were doing. And so I used to just say, I make good things happen for injured people. I really wanted to focus on my efforts to make sure that I had meaning and purpose in my own life of how can I make days better for each other. And as I progressed in my leadership at this TPA, we built teams that really functioned around the same mentality. And I have one adjuster that we've been a couple companies together and he and I both have the same philosophy. And it's been fantastic because no matter where we've gone, it's always kind of been a, Hey, do you want to send a card to this person? Or, Hey, it's Christmas. I'm going to send a couple cards to our self-insureds, or I'm going to send some cards to my injured workers that I've gotten close with. And it was just the way that we operated. And it was innately built into the culture within our teams that we've been a part of because we wanted to make every day better for each other, not just with our injured workers, but for each other. And when you have a culture that is built on that, and it's really innately established within the mission, the vision, the values of your team, because it's the direct leader that influences the team that either supports and empowers the team to think differently So I have always been blessed to have really solid concrete learning experiences for my direct leaders and especially the leaders that I had during those TPA experience days because I got that empowerment level to, all right, if you want to do this, then you go do this. But that's you doing the extra. And I think that that's a big platform for everybody that's in workers' compensation. Okay, you can do that, but it's gonna be extra. Okay, well, that's no different than looking at every single state statute. The states are going to put out their state statutes that this is how you jurisdictionally handle workers' compensation. It's up to us to make it better than that. This is your baseline, concrete, foundational level. Here's what you need to do for your injured workers, whether you are an insured, an employer, or a third-party administrator, however you're going to do these things, this is your baseline then you create awesome stuff like the workers recovery unit when you add value. And that's what makes the workers recovery unit at Continental Western so awesome because we took the add ons and created a unit that wasn't simply built upon the laws and the jurisdictions but it was how do you empower the individual adjusting team members to go above and beyond in their own way because it has to be authentic and you have to have a little bit of vulnerability and there has to be accountability that gets people that they want to think like that. I'm tired of hearing people say, you know, we just need to challenge the status quo. Stop challenging, start changing. We can talk and talk and talk, but until you're executing and implementing and people are believing in what you're doing, and it's not easy, it's not easy at all. I have been called a fake and a phony and she's so full of herself. And you know what, that's great, but I'm gonna keep doing me and making good things happen for injured workers. And my team's gonna keep making good things happen for injured workers and one another, and our insureds, and the fact that we are given an opportunity to make those kind of decisions makes our company very different. So that is what we've done in the workers' recovery unit of challenging and changing the status quo, where if it doesn't make sense, do something else, or let's find a new way, or figure out a new avenue, or find a way that we can make it better for somebody, and get them back into a functional capacity of life where they are a functional contributing member of society and they are restored. The purpose of insurance.
0: Lots of things that you talked about demonstrates where there is, I think, a disconnect within the industry in how we not just think about, but how we talk about the industry. And you're right. We have the law And we have rules and regulations and processes that have to be followed in terms of complying. But the law is not written to create human connection. And it's not written to be, as you said, to be the only thing that we can do. What it's written to do is say, these are the things that must be done. But when we think about human beings, the rules are just one thing. There's also the need to have human connection and recognize that the human experience is going to absolutely be impacted by how they're treated throughout the process. So I think your example of trying to set up a philosophy and a culture of saying, you are empowered to help people, help injured workers, and that's on you. You do what you have to do, and we'll figure it out later. I think that that's really groundbreaking in so I many think ways.
1: There's two things that I usually hear for pushback on this, and the first one is, well, it's costly. So when we talk about this is going to be more costly, I want to pause, and I want to think about if we do the right thing at the, on the front end, and we provide the right resources, and we provide the right reflective listening, we understand what the needs are of that specific injured worker and we help navigate things on the front end, you do not see the long tail. You do not see the soft fraud because they're not feeling that they're being taken advantage of in a system that is not necessarily designed to help them in the most easy way possible to recover. The second thing that I think about in that is when employers flat out shut down, well, I don't want to bring them back to work, just leave them. Do you have any idea the amount of cost that goes into that? For a guaranteed cost insurance program, a lot of insurance are like, nah, just leave them off. I don't have any modified duty. So when we choose to not bring an injured worker back to any type of modified duty, we fail to get them back into a routine of self-care, of getting up, getting yourself ready, getting yourself dressed, eating breakfast, getting out the door to come to a place where they know people, they have established relationships, people can check in on them. And that's so important, even if it's only for an hour or two a day, you've at least gotten somebody into that thought process of I have to get up, I need to get out of the house. I get out of the house, I get to see my community at work and then I can go home, I've done something that was task-based and we just need to rethink how this is done. I understand that it's easy to shut it down. It is not the right thing to do in any capacity because you're just breaking so many other elements of the human soul. So when we look at Maslow's hierarchy, fine, I guess the basic needs are being met, but I don't know about you. I'm not here to live basic. So, you know, we got to think differently. And when we look at this from an employer perspective, we hired these people because they're an element of our organization that we want them to be a contributing member. Why does it change when they have a workers' compensation claim? You know,
0: Claire, I think you make such a good point about the need to be with our community at work as a part of the healing and recovery process. That that's as much a part of it as the medicine and the treatment aspect of it and keeping people in whatever way we can in their routines of engaging with their work and engaging with their colleagues and coworkers. And understanding that they're a valued member of their team, of their employer, yes, that conversation might be harder at the beginning of, after the injury, because you may have to overcome their resistance. You -hmm. may have to find new opportunities to modify the way they did their work. You might have to talk more with the medical provider to say, how do we structure this work environment so they aren't re-injured more? but you're making the investment on the front end and that ultimately it's going to have a better conclusion, probably quicker. And as you said, less costly than just allowing them to sit at home because it was the easier thing to do at the beginning. Okay, fine. We'll authorize two weeks off of work and then having to deal with the consequences after that two or four or six weeks when they've been out of work. And I think- We have to realign everything in order to say the sooner we can act and the sooner that we can engage the person and their entire support team, their employer, their claims adjuster, their medical providers, everyone who's their family, everyone who's there to support them. I think the system can only improve if we do that.
1: So I think you bring up a really good point when you're talking about the whole like family dynamic and looking at it from like a work family standpoint. So this is where I feel like the industry, while we do so much on the causation side, why do we not focus on the the way the human brain works and the socio status? And we talk about the psychosocial issues, but why don't we train the adjusters on the psychosocial issues? Because it's fascinating to be able to identify them. How do you train an adjuster to use that as something to help them along the process? So we've got to start looking more at the science of humans and human behavior and the brain and how it works and using that to start training as we move forward and change this industry into a vibrant, bright light instead of this gray, dark space.
0: As we were preparing for this conversation, I asked the question, if you could change one thing tomorrow, about the industry, what would it be? And you talked about the education of adjusters. And one of the things that you touched on is really training them to deal with people and how the mind works, because we understand so much more about human behavior and how we can change human behavior based on the way we change our language based on interactions with them. So talk just a little bit more about what your vision would be if we could change tomorrow the way adjusters were educated.
1: I think we start with remapping our minds. We all come in with our preconceived notions. And if anyone says that they don't, they're lying. Our scripts are already written and they're predetermined when we get here. So we've got to start by unwiring that. I don't think it is necessary to spend as much time focusing on the statutes as we do. We spend so much time focusing on the statutes and drilling it into people and drilling it into people and drilling it into people. So let's start focusing on other elements. How do we communicate so that information is consumable? Take the information and make it consumable for me to understand. And I want you to do it at a sixth or an eighth grade level. Just because you can pass the statute
0: test of this is what causation is, this is the compensability threshold, this is how you calculate average weekly wage and what you consider, how do you break that information down and communicate that to someone who's just had an injury that's in pain and doesn't know how they're gonna pay their electric bill? How do you break that information down so that they can understand it and retain it and take action on it.
1: You know what? The first thing that everyone in this space should do when you're, so if, let's say I'm your adjuster and you've had an injury is now a good time to talk because you don't know where you're catching them at. So let's say that you just took some pain meds or you haven't gotten them yet, or you're waiting for your pharmacy fill. This might not be the most ideal time to try and talk to someone and get them in the right headspace. So questions that I wholeheartedly believe that need to be asked is now a good time. And if not, let's find one that works for both of us, that we can, because I want you to be actively engaged in our conversation, because I have a lot of information that I'm not here to just tell you, I need you to understand so we can partner to get you on the healing process. And you know what, if you're tired, if you just got back from the doctor, you need to lie down for a nap. I'm all on board for that. I, but we don't do that. Oh, Hey, can I have 15 minutes, half hour? I want to get a statement. Okay, where's the human element of that? How about starting with, hey, Jennifer, how are you? Well, I just got back from my doctor's appointment. I haven't gotten to take my pain meds. I haven't gotten a couple things. I'm really exhausted. Okay, well, hey, do you have time later this afternoon that you think we should be, we could talk or could I catch you first thing tomorrow morning? There's so much power in just listening. I was having a conversation
0: recently and someone made a statement that really has resonated with me and I wanted to get your perspective on it they said that workers' compensation, our industry has a lot of leaders, but not a lot of
1: leadership. What do you think? I absolutely agree with that statement. So I believe that our industry has what's called the leadership vacuum. You have the C-suite executives that think that they have this stunning philosophy that no one has ever even talked to the adjusting team about if it's possible what tools that they need for success, and what type of support that they need to be able to execute what the C-suite has gone and boasted about. And I think we see this in a lot of companies. What I think a lot of organizations do, and this is where it breaks, is you've got C-suite saying what they're going to say, and you have the frontline adjusters, and we have this middle group. And I would say that I'm in the middle group. I definitely think it's a hard leadership job. And I think that's where there's so many leaders. You have so many yes men in this space that are like, well, this is how claims have always run. We're gonna do this. How are you gonna motivate your team to be effectively effective at doing this humanitarian type work in the business of workers' compensation? No one asks that. It's more, I need widget movers, give me widget movers. And then we just have this massive disconnect because The widget movers want a certain production type element that then they push that down to their team, but really the C-suite's talking about how they're running an advocacy model. I can think of a plethora of companies that this exists in right now. So created this like checkbox scenario for the past hundred and some years, in my opinion, where we don't have the up and down of leadership, the coaching up, the coaching down. It needs to be both ways because if we're not giving are amazing frontline people, the best tools and the best resources for them to be doing their best job. We can't be mad when we aren't producing the results that we needed because nobody had the right conversations with the right people. So there's so much, there are so many leaders, I would say there's a handful of good leadership. Because one of the other things that I think that as we look at this leadership perspective and we look at this continuum of like actually listening to the leaders, to the adjusters and to the supervisors and to the managers about what they need to make sure that they are thriving, it also depicts their culture on do the adjusters have a voice? Because in a lot of places they don't. They're told you have to use this, you have to do this. What if that's not producing the best outcome? Because I understand that, you know, we might have this big conglomerate contract with a a third party, but what if they are doing a terrible job for our injured workers and then our adjusters have to deal with that, but nobody at the top cared to even ask. When I hear them say, you know what, I'm overworked, I have too many claims, etc., that's your leadership's fault. So when we look at things from a leader standpoint and we look at things from a cost standpoint, well, you know, it's more cost effective to get them to handle more claims. Ah, I don't agree with that. I think that there is a lot more that goes into it than simply that because when you have overworked, overtired adjusters that aren't able to make the most effective decisions that they can with the information that they have at that time, you have unhappy injured workers and this is a cycle. So I think when we look at it again from the leaders versus leadership, how much of leadership has really drilled this down to the core of where do we make the biggest impact? Because the impact is a human impact. It is a human capital impact. It is a financial impact. And it is a client account servicing retention impact. It all navigates in one giant space. And we have been too short-sighted to look at things, except from the bottom dollar financial standpoint. And that is where we are in a humanity. This is a business that exists inside humanity. And we have been operating like it is humanity that we're going to put into business. And I think that's kind of one of the sad things.
0: And that's where I think sometimes there has been a disconnect is that We have elevated voices, but for have forgotten the voices who really need to be heard.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: Well, as we close out this conversation on a Friday afternoon, let's just close with something a little bit more lighthearted. And um, if you could have a dream dinner party, who would you want to be seated next to?
1: On my right side, I would put RBG. I would love to be able to just hear everything that she embodied, experienced, et cetera. I want to know everything from her scariest moments to when she ever realized what she had done to change the world from a power standpoint. And on my left, I would have my mother, my biological mother. I've never met her. I don't know her. And I think it would make for some interesting conversation and you know, if it was awkward, I'd just turn back around and go talk to RBG somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, I would love to be able just to witness that dream dinner party because I, I think that that would be a t- tremendous conversation. Thank you for spending some time talking with us today, Claire. As always, you are an inspiration and you are an important voice and I appreciate getting the opportunity to talk with you. I wanna thank you for listening to Accidentally. We love to hear from you and we hope that you'll share your ideas and thoughts. You can email me at jwolf at iaiabc.org. I read and respond to every email I get. You can listen and subscribe to Accidentally on your favorite podcast service. Cheers, Jen.